0: The views and opinions expressed on Eye on the Triangle do not represent NC State, student media, or WKNC. Hello, this is Brian Hredo, the Public Affairs Director here at WKNC and host of Eye on the Triangle. In continuation of our WKNC Eye on the Triangle election episode, we've added some podcast episodes to fully post these interviews. The candidates being interviewed are Joshua Bradley, James Bledsoe, Jonathan Melton, and Anne Franklin. These candidates are running for the at-large Raleigh City Council race. For this segment of interviews, the candidates will discuss their stances on police, climate, the students' role, and give their closing statements. The interview is being conducted by WKNC content creator, Owen Martin. Hope you all enjoy.
1: Here, we're gonna have some of the odds and ends and other questions, but first, we're going to talk about how Raleigh should adjust its police force. And then we are going to talk about why students should care. Um, how do you feel about um, kind of, so obviously um, you guys have dealt with, um, one of the major issues of 2020 that you guys dealt early on with was a lot of the um, repercussions of um, the killing of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. um, how do you, do you support breaking out, um, a lot of the functions of the police into sort of like, oh, this is a traffic safety officer. This is a, like a mental health crises, um, Um, like officer that, that deals with that, that is pro that is, yes, that is trained in that. Um, what are some, how would you kind of, like to restructure some of the yeah um, some of the city um services
0: so when i ran in 2019 this was before the murder of george floyd i ran in support of a police advisory board with oversight ability and subpoena power when i got elected we got a police advisory board created i am the liaison to the police advisory board we requested oversight ability and subpoena power from the general assembly it failed So that was one piece of it. Mm -hmm. But I think that we need a well-trained, well-funded police department for matters of public safety. If your house is being broken into, if you are in trouble, you call the police. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot we're asking police officers to do that quite frankly they're not equipped to handle and they shouldn't be handling. And I think that when you call for help, you don't always need an officer and a gun to show up. And so what I want to do is to also invest and find alternative response models for 911 calls. The city's actually doing that work. Um, we worked with Durham on an analysis of our 911 call data so that we could get some suggestions on what to do differently. Under state law, you can send civilians to handle traffic, minor traffic infractions, incidents. Yeah. incidents um, that'll require a local act. I think we should do that. Um, I know we have our ACORNS unit now, which pairs officers with mental health workers. From what I understand, it's kind of occurring on the back end, not proactively on the front end and I think it could be expanded and retooled. Um, There are programs like the Denver Star program that we all know that takes a more proactive approach. And Mm -hmm. so I I would support that. I know our police advisory board has looked at making some recommended changes to Acorns. And so I think a lot of this work is in motion and it just needs to happen. I will say we have a, I still say new city manager. She's not new anymore. She she arrived, (laughs) I think in 2021. Marshall Adams David she's fantastic she gets all these issues we have a new police chief Stella Patterson who is very community oriented Um, one thing we didn't have in Raleigh was an LGBTQ liaison to our police department advocates and the community has been asking for it for years Charlotte had one chief Patterson came from Charlotte The first thing I talked to her about was getting one here and she got one and so I think she's receptive to supporting the officers and also, quite frankly, finding other ways to be addressing some of the stuff that we're asking police officers to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, yeah, because a lot of people, I feel like a lot of things that um, a lot of the time that police officers spend is sitting waiting to see someone speeding. And that just isn't a good use of city resources.
0: Right. I think one thing that'll be interesting is triaging calls, right? And so if a call comes in and it's clearly a mental health issue, is there also an officer who's needed to help clear the scene? Mm-hmm. I, so I understand that argument, but I've also heard folks on the police advisory board say, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think that's right too. And so I think we have to find a way that we can sort of coordinate
1: services but yeah, make sure that the appropriate person is responding at the appropriate time. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a model set up for it. If If you're I mean, that's why they don't. Not a not um, the. If your house starts burning down, fifty cops don't show up. Right. They they know whether to send. Oh, we send an ambulance. We yes. send a fire truck, yes. or we send a police officer. Yeah. The the system's already there. It's just figuring out how to get more buttons on the board.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. Um, how do you feel about um, how a lot of cities have sort of um, taken? Some of the burdens away from police officers to let them focus on um, crime response by kind of separating their tasks out into um, like separating out um, traffic responsibilities into different positions and more of unarmed public safety people to deal with just events and stuff or mental health crises or um, in Austin. They've even made um, the forensic science department a separate part of the police. If I remember correctly, is that the Acorns,
2: uh, what they did in Texas? No, know, Acorns but... is here. Okay, Acorns is here. All right. Um, I do like the, citis- uh, uh, the citizens that are allowed to go out and help out with police that are here. I know that was a big push. Um, in the city, they get their own cars and whatnot. Uh, but currently, right now, we have about three to 400 vacancies for the police. Uh, between the police and the firefighters, so I can't really give a response to that in good confidence either way because uh, violent crime is up, but also nonviolent crime is going through the roof. And I actually have those numbers at the city of Raleigh uh, publish, and it's looking like it'll be 5 to 10% increase in response times so are going to go up by another minute or two. Um, and that's not just police, that's also fire as well. So I would like to have us have an adequate police department and also fire department first before I even give a good enough response on that because that would just be dishonest, you know, because I'd be making a statement not based on facts. And that's what I have to rely on is the numbers and
1: statistics. I agree. Um, How do you feel about lowering the burden of police officers by creating um, positions that maybe only deal with mental health crises or, um traffic safety or um even the forensic sciences.
3: Yeah, it's, good. it's the right question. Um we have a program called Acorn which is to make uh skilled people available when there is a um a family crisis could be several varieties but mostly men- mental illness. Uh they are caseworkers and others trained to be available. Uh, when police are called. I also think in uh, some of the police organizations, and we have been talking, there may be some things that police do that could be handled by uh, civilians. Um, I'll tell you one thing that comes to mind. <laughs> we get noise complaints. They're They're nuisances, but for some neighborhoods, they're really huge because they interrupt life. Mm-hmm. But to use a highly trained and uh, equipped police officer to go and sit and wait for something to happen. That's there's too much noise. It might not be the best use of our resources, but it might be possible for us to um, equip neighborhoods or businesses with some equipment so they could keep track of the sound. And uh, if it goes on too long or too late, then you've got a record. And mostly, people do what they should. They mostly do what they can to be good neighbors. Sometimes big thumbs stick out and they can be noticed and attended to.
2: Kind of tying into that, what would you say like are ways for maybe the student population and anyone who would tune into this to like be able to go out there and kind of uh, see what could be done with Raleigh or like be able to get involved in kind of any of these um, material pushes you're going for? Well,
4: I, the, I'd like to, one way to do it is to get involved get involved in an organization and and not just during election season like you've got the ydsa here you've got the triangle dsa you've got the psl you've got um you know carolina abortion fund you've got there are lots of organizations that are doing good stuff on the ground and more than i can do the to list you today but uh my best advice to anybody is just to is to find find your people get an organization because we're stronger together and organizations will work together and that's why you come to if you it doesn't necessarily have to be socialist like for me like i'm i mean i'm obviously a socialist and in multiple socialist parties but like there's other groups that aren't necessarily politically involved that, that are still on the ground doing doing stuff and i would also say listen to the people that are doing the work now like don't come into a space and invent it and say i've got this great idea let's do it N- no 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 what, what you should do is get involved with local groups and when you show up listen right especially listen to people that are generally not given speech like you don't want to when you join an organization don't center it around yourself that's why it's really hard for me to run for city council because like i certainly don't want to center myself <laughs> and like i've <laughs> For and and it's hard. It's it's a being a cis how white male is the epitome of privilege in our society. If I were rich, I would have completed the you know mm-hmm. checked all the boxes. I've been part of the least oppressed class that has existed in West, in, in in this hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And the the problem with that is is there is a lot of implicit bias and a lot of privilege that we have uh, to some degree that w- we try to work on but that we don't see and that's mm-hmm. why when you join organizations you need to listen to the people that are that are there that are running it and then try to filter yourself through um you know you know try to you know Cause it's, it's a work in progress. If you're Mm -hmm. a privilege, you don't necessarily see the privilege because there are cis how white males that are poor that are, that have problems, but their problems aren't because they're cis how white men, right? (laughs) Um, So uh, it's just important to listen to the group, but I would say the best way to make a difference is to, is to uh, organize, join an organization, find something that's close to your heart or multiple things that are, and devote the time that you have to get to it. Because I think what it's going to take and the city is a grassroots campaign because when it comes down to it, there's not a bunch of billionaires that are going to come in and swoop down and fix us. You know, there's not people that are, you know, the, the people that are, that, that really control the power don't even see us as people. So if we work together, we can be noticed. And, and you know, and I think that's the most effective thing that we can do. Like people say vote and I, I would love everybody's vote, but you're not going to vote in the paradigm shift that we need, the revolutionary change that we need in this country, and this world, in order to, to lift everybody up. Because the people that are um, that have the money that are in charge are doing their darndest to wreck it and they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. So the Their strength in numbers were stronger together than apart. I hope that answered the question. Um,
1: why should NC State students care about city council as college campuses are kind of a bubble? okay um there's a few things
2: with this so going back to the law enforcement side carjackings are up uh, nonviolent crimes are up but also violent crimes are up um that creeps into nc state uh, certainly seeing a lot of the police reports mention this like there's assaults on campus and i know that nc state has their own police you know their own police or security however those two need to work with each other and there's just a lot of gaps i'll say to response Um, that wouldn't be there if we had a larger police presence. Uh, The next thing is housing affordability and also cost of living. So with every bond, every tax increase, every dollar spent by the city, um, that's another penny, another dollar, another $10 that you have to spend say at the store, at your, in your apartment complex, or even in student housing because that's a limited resource right now. If you want your cost of living to go down then certainly myself and other candidates that want to cut spending and taxes need to be put in office because that means that's more you can spend on paying off your student loans or your tuition even just go and buy a soda um it, you're certainly you're certainly going to see that if we cut down the
1: cost cost of living here in raleigh that leads uh perfectly into my next question which is why should nc state students care about city council as college campuses are kind of a bubble. They're um, kind of a bubble, yeah.
3: That is a question I'd like to have a whole lot more time to answer, to think about. <laughs> Many years ago, uh, there was a much more primary relationship between the city and the university. We would come to concerts, we'd use the craft hall, we were back and forth on campus a lot. And so just because of its growth, and the city's growth, that relationship has changed, this whole scale has, has changed. The infrastructure that supports NC State and its campus is city infrastructure. So if you turn on your water and you can just drink it without thinking, you're using a city service first thing in the morning, every morning. Those public utilities and the upkeep of basic roads, not the ones right on campus, but the basic roads allow mobility and they allow a a transit system. You guys have one of the biggest transit systems in the state. Um, They allow that system to work because of the infrastructure that that it rides on. And you have a security system here, but if something more serious happens, you need police to be available, not just on campus, but to all of the communities around the campus. So I would say the basic services are not seen. We don't talk about them a lot, but we do depend on them. And um, and students pay taxes, so they help to support some of those things. We also have a very strong um, parks and greenway system. So you don't have to pay anything, you just get to use it It's public space. You can use it for yourself or you can go like to the Wetlands Center, take your lunch, sit on a rocking chair, invite a friend to come with you. You get off campus a little bit. So being in a city is a different experience than a campus that is uh, its own city. And I think some people choose to come to NC State because it is in a city. It's not. Uh, it's not as isolated as some locale.
1: I know. I certainly did.
3: And this is not an interview for you, but it mm-hmm. makes makes me curious about why why you wanted that, um, and if we're matching up to what your expectation was and what you'd like to see more of. Um, we get asked about how to how to have a vibrant downtown. I want lots more sort of small scale um enterprises uh, not just places to go have a beer but uh all kinds of places you know maybe a maybe a leather shop where you can take <laughs> some of your gear and get it fixed um vintage clothing shops that um, cater to people who can afford to pay in that realm and there are also sorts of things that we can do to be as a city to enrich the college experience
1: i asked the candidates their opinions on climate in raleigh and also how we should address the large corporations such as apple google um and others moving into our area as well as investment how do you going off of that um you you say you want to get raleigh carbon neutral by 2030 what does that look like
4: well um i think it's doable i mean a lot of it has to do with uh it, it, it's going to take a lot to do that. If you're just talking about city government, like um, like there was supposed to be a green roof initiative. I mean, what we need to do is go through city buildings and do what we can to update them and make sure that not only are they accessible to the people, that everybody that needs it, but that are also meet environmental, like high environmental uh, standards. Uh, we need to do what we can to get rid of the, uh, the buses that run on anything other than electricity. For now, which would be a short step, I think that what we need to eventually get to is like like electric electrified trolleys i think are probably the most efficient way to handle mass transit especially in the denser areas of the city um that's going to be expensive to do and it's going to be a long term but i think there's and i think the city should certainly divest of any uh of any company or uh, that that does that i think the city has a climate action plan that's all stick all carrot and no stick right and it depends mm-hmm. heavily on on duke energy rolling over you know i, I just don't know that that's I, it, it, I give them points for optimism but like they need to actually I mean, you can't have a stick without a carrot especially when it comes to capitalists that are out to make money like it's you know, in theory against corporate charters to do anything that will do anything other than make money, like, because they're... That's the point, yeah. The so, like, you know, there's not a whole lot of B Corps in the city that are uh, that are out there, so uh, I just think that there are there are things that the city could do. We need to... A lot of that has to do with uh, public transit, and we need to do better with public tra- um How can Raleigh
1: work towards carbon neutrality? So we have a climate action plan.
0: Uh, it was past maybe 2021, but it's been developed through sort of the city experts for a a while. And I think there are big ways we can do it, and there's little ways we can do it. Like obviously wanna reduce our greenhouse gases, our our footprint, Um, you're gonna start seeing a lot more electric buses, um, compressed natural gas buses. little things like eliminating single use plastic in our city facilities. When I got on council, there were plastic water bottles everywhere and we all said, why are we doing single use plastic here? Um, I know that now downtown businesses have the little things on their windows. That's you, where you can bring your water bottle in and get it filled up for free. Um, we've got a lot of city facilities that are not helping with, um, our footprint, sort of speak, mm-hmm. and I know we're planning a new municipal campus where we can consolidate city services and stop spending money on rent, and that's going to be a green, like lead-certified building. Mm-hmm. And so the plan really lays out a bunch of of steps, and I believe the goal's twenty fifty. So,
1: uh, how how does how should Raleigh deal with um, these billion-dollar companies moving in, like Apple and Google and such?
4: I would do it with trepidation, and I certainly wouldn't give them any of our tax money to to come here. Um, There are Google employees uh, out on the West Coast that sleep in their cars. Like, I I don't think that large tech is going to come in and somehow miraculously save us, and I don't even think that they're going to hire a good number of us. I think they're going to import most of their workforce. Um, So I think that's a net loss as far as affordability and, and just general...
1: The soul of the city, in Raleigh. Know. You know, yeah.
4: Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, not every again. Not everybody that moves in from out of town is bad, and you know, and I don't want to diss too hard on the West Coast. They're having enough problems. The fact they can't get water, and you know,
1: yeah. It's just it doesn't make sense for the city of Raleigh to say, oh, you can you can move here for a lot less than it costs you to build anywhere else, and then bring in all these workers that aren't paying Raleigh. T- that aren't paying in
4: right and they're not and, and, and it, it doesn't generally have a huge net effect on raleigh because most of the people that pay the good money are coming with the company so, yeah uh, and
1: i agree um how could how should raleigh handle all these billion dollar companies moving in in what way um kind of if they're causing all this traffic with all these new um with with google and apple and sort of Mm -hmm. stuff moving in if they're moving in creating huge job centers how what are we doing to make sure that it's not only tax money and the people's money going forward yeah um to make those transportation improvements and how are we keeping um gonna get local people employed with these people with these job companies instead of just having them import a bunch
0: yeah i think there's multiple angles to that question if it's sort of like a state recruitment incentive and they decide to plop down in raleigh that was probably negotiated by whatever statewide economic development office i know the raleigh chamber runs our economic development team they really take a regional approach with raleigh and durham and chapel hill And any time I have seen any sort of incentive for a company to come here, it's been tied to a threshold of hiring local talent. Um, I think whatever we can do, we've got so many universities of different types, colleges in Raleigh, hiring local talent, investing in local talent, especially like WMBE businesses, um, I think Mm -hmm. that's important. And then I know... um,
1: Um, That's minority and woman-owned businesses, correct?
0: Yes, yeah. Um, and then I also know that um, I think it was Apple. this that was a state incentive package, but I do believe Apple has committed to investing in schools and some of the transit okay. stuff. But at least on the local level, since I've been on council, the ones I've seen have not been big things like Apple, um, but have been, mm-hmm. you know smaller things to an extent. Um, and there's been like a hiring requirement.
1: Um, How does how should Raleigh handle the multi-billion plus corporations moving in? With caution,
2: with extreme caution. So a lot of people look at these multi-billion dollar companies coming in. um, Now, mind you, they're a boon to tax revenue. However, as far as employment, they can they're bringing in a lot of people inside the company to move down with them. That's the one thing I want people to understand is that not every job that they're offering, is to the local populace. Those are now uh, jobs that are, they're coming in from other places. They're saying, "Hey, move on down to Raleigh. We have all these jobs available." Uh, this is more of an internal posting shift for you. Along with that, you're looking at infrastructure too. Can our roads handle it? Can our you know the power grid handle it? Do you more? think those are things that those companies should pay into? Oh, absolutely. If you're going to move to Raleigh and you're going to build a giant complex in our city you are definitely going to foot the bill for the improvements that need to go in to facilitate your structure coming in Um, subsidies. I'm not too much of a fan of that. I want you to build your own parking on your own land. I want you to maintain your own roads until they're up to code. And then Raleigh will come take it over. But you need to be responsible for footing the bill for all the water that we're going to be pumping into, into your area for the electrical grid, everything. I mean, they need to
1: chip in. Um, How can Raleigh handle um, the multi-billion dollar corporations kind of moving in at our doorstep? Or what should we do
3: about them? Ouch. (laughs) We can say ouch Mm -hmm. because it feels hurtful Uh, if we don't know who's doing what. I don't think we can stop it. I think we can provide education to people in our communities about who is doing what, particularly when groups are buying up whole rows of property, so that if you're selling, you will at least get a fair compensation based on the value that outside people are are assuming. As I've been told repeatedly, we have investors that are buying anything they can buy They're not sight unseen. They have no idea um, exactly how they will use it, except they believe it is profoundly marketable. At some point, we have to make it clear that those properties are marketable because they're in a market that has benefited from very solid local government, benefited from public investments, benefited from public school systems and healthcare systems that make us a very attractive place and that we expect they will make a contribution to those basic systems through taxes or any other way we can figure. It makes us feel very vulnerable, and I'm not sure how how to deal with that, but it I'm hearing it from a lot of different places. It's not just poor communities. It's communities that have um, houses that are maybe, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, and the people in them have been in them there a while. So they're feeling very vulnerable. I I think there are a few things we can do, but we can't stop foreign investment.
1: It did. Now we're going to try to blitz through some lighter questions. Um, What's your favorite park in Raleigh?
4: My favorite park? Um, I'm kind of partial to Shelley Lake because I live near there and I walk around it. It's not super fun, but you can walk around the lake. <laughs> That's what I do. But, like, I mean, there are a lot of good parks. pulling is good. Shaivas is good. What's your favorite Greenway? My favorite Greenway? Huh. It's not an easy one. Huh? I mean, I, you know. The kind of the, anything that connects out of Shelly Lake is obviously familiar <laughs> with, we're of, but I mean I've generally had good experiences any any in any of the greenway that I've been in. Uh, you know, I've been down here, some down coming down towards Crabtree, uh, but any you know. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: What's your favorite Crayola crayon flavor?
4: Crayola, don't they taste the same? Crayola crayons <laughs> taste different based on the. Oh, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't tested
3: Which one would taste the best, do you think?
4: I would go with green, mm-hmm. probably. Okay. What
3: does it taste like?
4: I i did green, artificial mm-hmm. green. Like, they say it's apple, sometimes I say it's watermelon, but it just tastes like green.
1: What else would you like the listeners at home to know?
4: Um, wow. If you have a chance, give it a chance, listen to Old Chumbawamba, like not their <laughs> popular ones. <laughs> But like all their old school stuff, like they were like hard. They were they were a punk collective, anarcho socialist band from England that did awesome stuff, and they were talented. and And that's um, just personal. And if you read, if you're not reading theory occasionally, uh, I would recommend the Culture series by Ian M. Banks, which are uh, about post scarcity a supposed scarcity space utopian society and how it deals with people that aren't. So uh, I think it, they're very interesting books. Um, if anybody's interested, am I allowed to have a pitch for something that's free?
1: As long as it doesn't lead to anybody profiting.
4: It does not. Perfect. Uh, then you're good. <laughs> at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, some of my friends and I started together a, a Zoom uh, study group. Um and we've been going for three years. Um, it doesn't cost anybody anything. The, the, technically, it costs me to maintain the Zoom license. I just had the Zoom license from the last campaign, so that's how it started. And uh, basically, every Thursday we meet. Uh, we vote uh, as a group on uh, what we want. What we want to study. We pick a book. Uh, everybody puts in. We vote, and then we do it. Uh, it's grown. We have about 150 people registered for the group. We have about 20 to 30 people on every Thursday. Um, We started with uh, Paolo Fieri's uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, And we did Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, which took us 10 months, because that's a dense book. Uh, We've done all the stuff that you would expect. We have did the Manifesto, we've done we did a little Mao. We did a little. We did state and revolution. We did uh, reformer revolution. We did some Rosa and. Uh, but if anybody's interested, if you go to leftunitystudy.com and register, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything except time. Uh, and it's it's it, it's a pretty good group, and we're actually we've got people from all over the country, so uh, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, so you can edit it out if I can.
1: Awesome. Well, this has been Her Majesty, Plover, EJ steelman I agree. Um how could how should Raleigh handle all these billion dollar companies moving in? In what way? Um kind of if they're causing all this traffic with all these new um with with Google and Apple and sort of mm-hmm. stuff moving in, if they're moving in creating huge job centers, how what are we doing to make sure that it's not only tax money and the people's money going forward yeah. um, to make those transportation improvements and how are we keeping, um, gonna get local people employed with these people, with these job companies, instead of just having them import a bunch.
0: Yeah, I think there's multiple angles to that question. If it's sort of like a state recruitment incentive and they decide to plop down in Raleigh that was probably negotiated by whatever statewide economic development office. I know the Raleigh Chamber runs our economic development team they really take a regional approach with Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill and anytime I have seen any sort of incentive for a company to come here it's been tied to a threshold of hiring local talent. Um, I think whatever we can do we've got so many universities of different types colleges in Raleigh hiring local talent investing in local talent, especially like WMBE businesses. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's important. And then I know...
1: Um, um, that's minority and woman owned businesses, yes. correct? Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and then I also know that, um, I think it was Apple, this was, that was a state incentive package, but I do believe Apple has committed to investing in schools and some of the transit okay. stuff. But at least on the local level, since I've been on council, the ones I've seen have not been big things like Apple. Um, but have been, Mm -hmm. you know, smaller things to an extent. Um, And there's been like a hiring requirement.
1: Um, What's your favorite Greenway in
0: Raleigh? Probably Rocky Branch. I think that's the right name. It's the one by my house. You get on it at Chavis. It takes you through um, really up through Centennial Campus, and and then I take it out through Dix Park and ride it back. It's a 10-mile loop. I did it. Mm -hmm all the time during COVID because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was great.
1: <laughs> um, what's your favorite restaurant in Raleigh?
0: I like Centro Gallo Pallone um, downtown. Uh, there's also, I hate to say because it it's like a hidden gem, and if I say it, the people are going to start going. <laughs> it's smokestacks. It's uh, in Oakwood neighborhood. It's really good. Um, probably those two.
1: Um, what's your favorite Crayola Crayon flavor?
0: I don't think I've ever eaten a Crayola Crayon. Do they taste different? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I know my favorite color it varies. Since I'm at state and I went to state I'll say red, but it varies over <laughs> time. <laughs>
1: uh what was your crowning achievement in student government?
0: I was the Senate Press Secretary for a little while, and that was kind of cool. Um, that's why when we were talking before we started the interview about how the student Senate chambers used to be on the second floor and, um, technician was up here on the third floor. So I was running up and down all the time. I liked (laughs) that because I was, um, a news reporter and editor in high school of our high school paper. So it was really cool because I still have passion for journalism, just not involved in it. So it was Mm -hmm. pretty cool to be a student Senator and then the Senate press secretary. So I was sort of had a hand in having to communicate with, the journalists and then also making the policy
1: so I really liked that Um, are there any organizations that you want to shout out that would be cool volunteer opportunities or um, any ways that students could get involved
0: yeah so I started an organization called Stonewall Sports it's an LGBTQIA philanthropic sports league I don't run it anymore, but it's in Raleigh and in cities across the country now. And so, if folks want to sign up to play or participate, there is a support for everyone. There's also service projects associated. I'm a former board member of Tammy Lynn Center, TLC. They are not far from where we're sitting right now, they're just down Avon Ferry. Um, they help folks with uh, children and adults with developmental disabilities. Um, so, it's a great organization to be associated with. And then, um, you know the LGBT center of Raleigh can always use help too.
1: Um anything else that we've even touched on that you want the listeners at home to know about?
0: No, I don't think so. I just think in general um if I had one parting message, you know I ran in 2019 as a first time candidate. I'd never held elected office before. Quite frankly, never thought I would be here. But I ran because I felt like it was time for new leaders to step forward. I felt personally affected by a lot of the issues facing the city. I was a young professional trying to find housing I could afford, trying to navigate the city without a car. And I felt like it was time for some new ideas and new ways forward. And I've always been the kind of person where you don't wait for someone else to raise their hand. If you see a void, you know you can address it. You step forward and you ask to address it. And that's what I did. Uh, After I got elected, the whole world changed. It's been an incredibly difficult term. Um, But I am proud of the work I've accomplished on council. I'm proud of my record um, fulfilling my campaign promises. Uh, we still have more work to do. We're a growing city with that comes challenges, but I also think limitless possibility. I govern from a place of yes. I try to seek what we can do and not say what we cannot do. And you know, I'm eager to serve another term. So I hope to have everyone's vote.
1: Awesome. Um, this has been Her Majesty for WKNC 88.1 FM, HT1 Raleigh with Jonathan Melton, who is running for the one of the at-large seats on Raleigh City Council. Um, what do you have to say to people who may write you off as a bigot because you're endorsed by the Wake County GOP? Um, I, first off,
2: I'm not a bigot. I've served in
1: the Army for 17 years.
2: Um, yeah, I'm a white guy, and, but again, I've been serving around every single race, religion, creed, sexuality for 17 years. I've had guys serve under me in comment from all over the world. I've had a guy from Chile, a guy from uh, Cuba with me, Uh, two guys from Africa. One was from South Africa and one was from Nigeria. Just because you're endorsed by the GOP doesn't mean you're a bigot. I mean, for me, I'm unaffiliated. I've been so my entire life. I don't plan on joining the GOP or the Democratic Party because I don't think that either have my best interests at heart. They see my campaign as a way of cutting taxes and spending as a good thing. But again, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat, and I
1: don't ever intend to be. Um, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna close out the interview with some lighter questions. Okay. Uh, What's your favorite park in Raleigh? My favorite park in Raleigh? Uh, That would be Barwell,
2: uh, just because it's easy for me to, or it used to be easy for me to bike to, but also it's easy for me to drive to. (laughs) What's your favorite greenway in Raleigh? Uh, That would be the one right next to my house. That would. Uh, right off of the uh, Walnut Creek Amphitheater, so the Walnut Creek
1: Trail. Um, What's your favorite restaurant in Raleigh? Mm, Jack Seafood. What's your favorite Crayola crayon flavor? (laughs) Uh, Not a Marine, so I can't answer that one. What else would you like the listeners at home to know?
2: Um, Just know that if you vote for me, I'm going to try and make your life easier through your wallet by not charging you as much, by cutting down taxes, spending... And providing as much opportunity as possible for you to live here, stay here, and also uh, conduct your business here. I, w- I want, you know, you to feel safe. I want you to trust in me, but also uh, have Raleigh go back to the way of it used or used to be felt as, you know, lots of opportunity, safe, and
1: for everyone. Um, we're going to close out the interview with some lighter questions now. <laughs> um. <laughs> What's your favorite park in Raleigh?
3: Oh, my goodness. That's like asking me what my favorite library is. I go to a lot of different libraries, and I love them all. Um, well, the Walnut Creek Wetland Park is, is my favorite. I've invested a lot of time in helping that come to be, and I love being there. I like sitting in the rocking chairs and just taking in the green of it. I like being there at night, listening to the peepers in the early spring, um, Favorite park. So that's my favorite park.
1: What's your favorite greenway?
3: Well, again, it would be the the Walnut Creek Mm -hmm. Greenway. We worked a lot to get that in place. And, um, you know, our greenways get to develop along um, uh, sewer rights-of-way, and those are typically right next to to streams. Mm -hmm. So... I think when you get on our greenway system, you have the benefit of um of a creek right <laughs> there, as well as the plants and all that come come with that. So probably the the uh, all the creek related greenways would mm-hmm. be my favorites.
1: Uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Raleigh?
3: Ah, Neomond.
1: Um, what's your history with Raleigh?
3: Well uh I should say we moved to North Carolina. I grew up in Ohio. We were recruited by a program that Governor Sanford started. It was the poverty program before there was a federal poverty program. And we were um, trained to be community organizers. And we worked all over the state in about 11 different communities. Um, And I've sort of stayed in that realm of community organizing for, for a long time. And frankly, now I've forgotten the question. What's question.
1: your history
3: with Raleigh? With Raleigh. So uh, we were in D.C. for a little bit, and then Who was we? my, my, hus- my mm-hmm. husband and I came back to North Carolina because he was in the adult education program at NC State as a graduate student, and we've pretty much invested our lives here. Um, he was with the Justice Department, and they brought him up to Washington for, for about six years, but then we came back, and um, his work with, was in disability rights, And he worked all over the state, eventually headed up the state ADA office. So part of me stays really tuned to how well we're doing with services for people with with disabilities. Um, But, you know, I have other connections in Raleigh. I I got to be on the Wake County Botanical Garden Society. I was chair of their board for about six years. And um, I've been – was part of oratorio at one time and and then sing with the – a choir that got to take two different um, original works to uh, Carnegie Hall. One was this summer, and other was about five years ago. Um, so lots of good things going on in Raleigh, and uh, that's why I like being here.
1: Awesome. Um, what's your favorite Crayola crayon flavor?
3: Oh, my goodness. Oh. Well, I like violet, but I... I I'm drawn to this sort of warm red color, which is my campaign color. So, uh,
1: um, Anything else you'd like the listeners at home to know?
3: I really like being on campus. It gives me energy. I feel like I'm in the right place if they'll just have me. <laughs> and uh, I see such diversity among the student population. They're coming from all over the world. So... Um, It gives me hope. I also enjoy, here I am in the radio station, I know that there are lots of little nooks and crannies throughout uh, a campus which appears to the outsider to be, uh, you know, sort of maybe impenetrable. But then you get introduced to some of these little places where some really exciting things are going on. Um, So you're reminded of how much life there is here. And I appreciate each student's investment. I appreciate the faculty um, who who provide the as much as they can to help people. I also know that there's a huge staff that takes care of all of the spaces that you use. And um, I've known some of those people. I've worked with some of those people directly on rideshare, et cetera. Um, so I would want state students to pay attention to who cleans up after them and <laughs> who keeps their space safe and who drives the buses. Um, it's important that we connect with all the parts of our community. And I thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun for me. I appreciate your good attention.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been Her Majesty.